It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. I want to tell you my secret now. Hello and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Marissa Martinelli, Slate Editorial Assistant, and today we are spoiling 13 Reasons Why. Here to talk with me about the series, our managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network, June Thomas. Hi, June. Hey, Marissa. And Slate Podcast producer, Verilyn Williams. Hey, Verilyn. Hey, Marissa. And finally, last but not least, Slate Culture intern, Lena Wilson. Hi, Lena. Hello. Okay. Season two of 13 Reasons Why picks up several months after the season one finale, which ended with Hannah Baker's tapes falling into the hands of her parents. Uh, The second season revolves around testimony at the trial to determine whether the school was at fault in Hannah's suicide. Our discussion, like the show itself, will touch on some heavy topics, including sexual assault and suicide. Uh, If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts, you should call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. To start with, let's talk a little bit about season one and where it left us. Lena, you want to start us off? Sure. I mean, I come to this show having been a very passionate reader of the original book by Jay Asher when it came out in, I want to say, 2006 or 5. Um, I read it as a young teenager, way younger than I should have. Um, but season one follows that plot pretty exactly, wherein Hannah Baker, who has committed suicide, um it turns out, recorded these seven tapes, 13 sides in total, in which she dedicates a side to each person that she believes led her to kill herself. Um, These people are all connected to her high school in some way, shape, or form. And the show picks up as Clay Jensen, a bland white man, um, ends up with the tapes. Boy, he's a teenager. Right. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Don't want to give him too much credit. Um, As a bland white boy, Clay Jensen ends up with the tapes. He's basically sort of this nice guy character who was in love with Hannah the whole time and realized how special she was, um, but she didn't love him back, or maybe she did, and that's a big part of the drama. Um, And so it's about his journey through her narrative, more or less vis-a-vis the tapes, Um, but there's also drama with her parents happening on the side and this character, Tony, who Hannah has assigned to look after the tapes um, and Tony's also a high school student. Right. Uh, And we should note that the first season definitely expands on Asher's novel. Right. Uh, It sort of turns Hannah's suicide into a kind of, for lack of a better phrase, murder mystery, even though it's a suicide. Uh, And the revelation of who will be on the next tape is sort of a reveal of the next suspect uh, in Hannah's death. Let's talk about some of the people who are on those tapes. Verilyn? You want to pick one? Sure. Um, I think, so going from the first season, the person 
that I, I still kind of don't understand, especially in thinking about the sec, what well, the details that we learned or the ways in which his testimony, um, was expanded in on the second season was Zach played by Ross Butler, who is one of the jocks that, um, there's a group of jocks that are like the popular kids, the people that are bullying very much like the source of w- all the characters kind of get impacted by this group in one way or another. And Zach is an Asian character that um, in the first season, uh, Hannah, in in his tape, (laughs) Hannah says that he's kind of like complimenting her or um, giving her unwanted attention. Like that's kind of the source, if I'm remembering right, right? That was kind of the source of of his episode. And and it felt very much like when he gave her these compliments and he didn't get the response that he wanted, that she felt um, he like was bullying her by, I can't even remember now, was he? Well, so there's a bag of compliments in the room um, that Kiko Ajina's uh, Lane Kim's teacher character um, Gilmore teaches, Girls reference. Yeah, exactly. that was a Gilmore Girls reference. Um, so she played a teacher who taught sort of a like wellness and skills class and they had compliment bags in that classroom where students could anonymously leave notes for each other complimenting them. And Zach and Hannah have some falling out their friends and they have some falling out. Um, but we don't know that they're friends in the first season. Right. When the first season is just like this guy that has a crush on her. And we're just like, why? Why is, you know, why why is he taking this so personally? He seems to be the nice guy among the jocks. Yes. Because there are worse offenders among them. Yes. Um, Chiefly Bryce, who is sort of the school's torment um, and who is the source of a lot of the problems within the school. Kind of a classic sort of 80s throwback jock villain type. Yeah. Uh, who assaults multiple women within the school, including Hannah. Yeah. But one of the problems I think we're running into is that we're starting to, Verlin, you're attempting to like... Yeah, talk about season season two, referring back to season one, when in my view, I mean, partly because it's always so hard to remember what happened on another season of a Netflix show because they refused to give you any previously Mm. on clues. But also, (laughs) even if we had been reminded, even if you just, you know binged the whole season one and then watched season two, it would be really hard to make any comparison between the two seasons. It's almost like they remade all the characters mm-hmm. and yeah. just gave them whole new backstories, uh, yeah. whole new explanations. And you can see that they're trying to make us think that, oh, well, you never really know someone, especially yeah. teenagers. But yeah. you know what? You know them enough to know that you can't completely change their story just 100% with no reference to what happened before. Exactly. Yeah, I, I did get the sense of like they're trying to make a point that it was all about Hannah's perception of the relationship. But if this is a person which you dated, which is what we find out in season two, part of his testimony. So as opposed to the tapes in season this two. This is Zach's testimony. Zach's testimony. Yeah. Every character, we kind of learn more about their relationship with Hannah through the trial and their testimony. And in Zach's testimony, Essentially, they had a, a hidden relationship right. where he talks about like not giving honor to the connection that they had because of his friends. And he didn't want his his jock friends to know that they were together. And it's like very specific, you know, dating moments that I would think that those will be details that even if it's someone that like it just feels like a compliment bag versus ignoring it, denying our relationship feels like, you know, a bigger, <laughs> not, not to a, make light of this, but like a bigger reason to like 
you know, That's blame a, someone. Right. It's extraordinary that Hannah wouldn't have mentioned that on her tapes that lay out in such detail all the ways what? that she feels she's been wrong. And right. it's it's very obvious to me in this season that they sort of ran out of yes. novel to adapt. And they were like, how can we fill in the blanks? Yes. Um, and sometimes successfully, but usually in ways that felt kind of airlifted from a totally different series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's sort of like what's happening with The Handmaid's Tale, where season one ends where the book ends. Mm. And then you pick up season two, and it's like, well, what are we going to do? But I I would actually argue that I think um, Brian Yorkie and the writers of 13 Reasons Why have done something very smart with 13 Reasons Why season two by creating another framing device um, that sort of repackages the original mm. structure of the, sh- of the show. You talked about the Polaroids? Or the courtroom. The courtroom. The courtroom. Right. Yeah. I don't understand. Like, Polaroid 1, Polaroid 2, no. Polaroid 3. I was 3. like, what is the significance? Now we're at Polaroid 3. And it the marketing didn't was, matter in the end. Yeah. Yes. No, no. That was like, but you could see that they were trying to mimic the structure of the first one with the tapes because that's brilliant. Right. And then it's like they don't. They, they should have just stuck with, with the testimony as yeah. the original. Yeah. But I also think it's important to pick up on the fact that so Zach was one of the tape subjects. And basically the tapes in season one center the ways in which Hannah has been bullied by various students at the school, much of which comes from the idea that she's a slut. Um, she's easy. Um, and much of what she experiences is just out and out sexual harassment from boys at the school. Um, and season two picks up on some of those threads. And yeah, Zach is a perpetrator of that in season one um he asks her out and she rejects him and it is very much this nice guy moment and i collapsed the timelines because season two attempts to pile on an entirely different narrative it's for a their relationship. Con. yes yeah, yeah exactly since you brought up the court and the testimony that in some ways yes it's smart like it's a nice structure even though there were so many weird problems i don't want to be too negative but like come on like the I guess the prosecution, no, the defense attorney is a genius and Ricky Vasquez is, you know, just an idiot, I guess. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's a very un- unevenly matched uh, court case. But the notion that because they're in, in, a, in a trial and they're s- sworn to tell the truth, so they're going to tell the truth, like these people who many of whom we've seen do gross, vile things. Mm-hmm. And we know, yes, Bryce clearly isn't telling the truth, but... This idea that they're just like they're opening themselves up to all kinds of things because they can only tell the full and complete truth. Like, since when has that ever happened? Right. Like, that's maybe the 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 kind of the biggest sin for me of this or the original sin of this second season. Like, why would we think suddenly that they're all going to be truth tellers just because they're in a court? Well, we know that they're not from yeah. both from having seen the first season and from new flashbacks in this season. Uh, some of them lie pretty blatantly. Others tell the truth, and it the lack of consequences yeah. during mm. this trial is kind of extraordinary. I mean, the the attorney is villainously manipulative with everyone's testimony and blatantly victim blaming throughout, and yet no, nothing anyone says seems to matter. No. I mean, the the trial is essentially to find out whether the school is Liable. responsible, yeah. but in the process. So many other secrets are revealed that you'd think would have legal consequences. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> There's also um, a like true crime blog in the town that yes. is apparently documenting the entire trial proceedings. Yeah. Um, and that is sort of the show's excuse for all of the characters constantly knowing what's going on yeah. in the trial. So you can like pick up a conversation between two of the high school students where like one 
just had testimony and another one comes up to them and is like, I read the blog. I found out what happened at the trial. Are you OK? And it's just <laughs> such a cheap way yeah. to like, I understand that that happens. Like, that's yeah. how the Steubenville rape case, for instance, like was broken was by like a local true crime blogger. But it, it just was so shoehorned in like the blogger's not a character. The blog is never seen literally or mentioned. Oh, well, except Clay comments that. Yeah. I guess we'll get to that. Barely, yeah. Um, But barely. This kind of makes me think of the lack of, like, the school, the other students, there's, like, no reflection on how I can change my actions. You know, like, there's just, like, all this stuff has happened. People are getting bullied. Now you're learning details from the trial. And yet, you know, Jessica, which is another character um, one that was in season one who was one of the 13 reasons why, um, who also we see her kind of um, deal with a rape that occurred in season one in this season and someone in one of the episodes puts up pictures that's like no one will believe a slut what was the quote with the with the it was to intimidate her out of testifying at the trial um and it, i don't remember the exact quote but it's basically like yeah no one will believe you slut because it's pictures of her like dancing on some guy I, I, at a dance and the the students are still laughing you can hear people taking pictures of her in mm-hmm. the background and i'm just like I don't know. I was a I was a pretty I mean I'm an empath. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but like I there was no student that was like, "Hey guys, let's stop. This isn't right." There was like none of that and I was I'm so confused. Even Clay who's supposed to be our entry point is such an unlikable protagonist in this season. In this season, yeah. yeah. Last season, you know, he was definitely grieving and he was at the center of this mystery. This season he's relentless in his pursuit of what he considers justice for Hannah. He doesn't even consider the feelings of people who are alive and suffering. But I feel he's going through some, not to psychoanalyze him, but there's definitely psychosis stuff happening with him this season. Well, especially because he seems to be having complete conversations and and, and being accompanied by Hannah. And that Mm. to me was one of my biggest problems with the season was we it was just never even made clear is she kind of essentially a ghost or like mm. a presence that he's he's not actually having conversations with out loud i mean i suppose again like in this town who knows because nobody does seem to ever like do anything but <laughs> mm-hmm. like nobody mm-hmm. said who are you talking to Claire? so i guess that they supposedly wasn't really talking out loud but they never even really took the time to clarify well there was that one was time when on. um so <laughs> there's so many characters in this so yeah, sorry if at any point um this gets confusing but another character justin who was another person on the tape the person um the boyfriend of jessica in season one who kind of got this whole thing started i mean he's hannah's Mm -hmm. first reason yes due to a misunderstanding uh they go on sort of a date and he takes a photo of her that then gets spread around the school and he does not correct the assumption that it shows her being promiscuous just yeah, some yeah. backstories since no, there are so many characters. so many ba- so much backstory and, and as you say that I'm thinking you know we find out this season that he actually didn't share the the picture it was Bryce mm. who is the leader of the pack and like the the enemy number one of the show um, but there was a moment where Justin walks in on Clay speaking to the hallucination I remember in his mm-hmm. room and he's just like I'm, I was worried about you and I feel like that was the one moment that I saw young adults actually show concern for their friend in the moment. I feel like there was not enough reflection. Like there, I feel like these kids are not learning anything. Mm. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, I do want to. I want to go in as very much in support of the experimental aspects of season two. Mm. I really like. You Hannah. liked Ghost Hannah. I love Ghost Hannah. <laughs> Um, I love the idea of a physical manifestation of grief, and I feel like that's made fairly – it was made fairly clear to me, at least, um, especially in the finale when um, Clay gives his sort of, like, goodbye monologue to her and she exits her own funeral. Oh, like, God. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> listen. Um, but I, like, season – or episode one ends with, like, Clay turning around and Hannah's there and she says some, like, sassy line and then it's, like – cut to the credits heavy metal music He's and like oh you talk now right and it's like directed by Greg Araki who is this um like excellent um pioneer of new queer cinema mm-hmm. um and I was like yes here for it immediately and episode two ends with um Hannah like following him as his girlfriend Sky is being taken to the hospital for having a manic episode mm. um she self-harms yes. you know, she right yeah. She self-harms. And um, Hannah says, like, you do really like complicated girls or something like that. And and then Clay just turns around and, like, screams at her manifestation. And then it's, like, cut, credits, Gregor Rocky. Mm. I'm so here for that. Like, just <laughs> the messy, like, muck of grief and mental illness and the blurry lines in between. And I think that's what Brian Yorkie specifically trades in. I mean, he developed my favorite musical of all time, Next to Normal, um, in which the main character um, like is literally hallucinating her deceased son. Um, but I think that just seeing that physically manifested like adds to the viscerality of those feelings for me and it was important for me to see that i would just want to jump in to say that one concern i had with ghost hannah uh which seemed to me i agree that she was effective as a manifestation of grief but i also felt like it was a pretty transparent attempt to just bring back Catherine langford for the sake of it because she's a phenomenal actress which i'm also here for but the first season got in a lot of trouble and i could spend an entire podcast talking about all the ethical issues with season one of 13 Reasons Why, but it got in a lot of trouble for its depiction of suicide from suicide prevention experts uh, and other people who are concerned about suicide contagion, the idea that a show that is based on a novel that, you know, is aimed at sort of young teenagers. (laughs) Lena, you read it as a young teenager. I also read it as a young teenager. Mm -hmm. uh, Could inspire copycats. And while there was a lot of fixation in the first season on, you know, the fact that we saw Hannah actually kill herself, which is a no-no in terms of contagion, one other major problem that I think got overlooked is that the show's premise is a suicide revenge fantasy in which the person kills herself and then is able to live on Mm -hmm. after her death Mm -hmm. and manipulate others and control what's happening in her legacy. And so I thought that having Hannah in yet another season after essentially her story had been told was a little troubling in that she she never dies. She kills herself, but she is still in control and she is still mm-hmm. a player. And that's just not the case. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, Lena, I 
I hear you on those specific moments, and I think there's a there's the it's just a problem with television, especially with such very very long episodes. I mean, these episodes yeah, are all long. at least an hour, mm-hmm. and. You know, the final one is something like an hour and a quarter, maybe even an hour and a half, much, much too long. And we're talking of you know, full content, no ads. And so clearly there's a n- number of different directors, as usually happens in television, but it's definitely going to happen in a project like this. And some of the other directors were not as skilled. And I think yeah. that the like really what what Hannah is able to do, and, and that's such a great point, Marissa, is is and how she appears to people and who she appears to and what it, it just wasn't as clear as it could have been if there had been that kind of level of 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 competence uh, in the director or that level of, of creativity and often some of the others were just way too long way too slow way too unclear and murky and that was just you know a problem with something of this vast size i think right and i think part of the problem is that clay's simply not the protagonist anymore this season the way that he was in season one but the show still tries to make him one yeah, yeah. In, in a very strange he way he got very boring and very mm-hmm. confused to me. we do yeah. need a conduit though because there are so many characters although it would have been interesting if each character had really been the protagonist of their own episode yeah <laughs> wouldn't uh, it have been yeah, yeah. <laughs> that can also get complicated because we're dealing with some complicated characters. Uh, I mean, we've gone this long without talking about Tyler, even though he has one of the most... uh, I lack the words to describe what Tyler's arc was like. Um, Who wants to to talk about that? Well, Tyler, he was one of the kids who in in season one attempted suicide. That's Alex, right? Oh, I'm sorry. That's Tyler. Oh, Tyler. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. (laughs) Yeah, Come on, oh my goodness, I know. <laughs> Come on, Drew, there's only like 50 characters. <laughs> so yes, Tyler. So Tyler is the kid who in season one was some, much more minor than he is in season two, but essentially the AV nerd who, you know, was the photographer who was taking photos all the time for the high school yearbook and so kind of had an excuse to be present, uh, probably in more situations than someone of his social standing would. Uh, because he is, you know, a kind of nerdy outcast. I'm not quite sure what the right nomenclature for American high school is, but he's certainly not a cool kid. And um, in season two, he his arc is extraordinary. Um, he he starts out, you know, this sort of sweet kid who's on the outside looking in, but has a lot of access to things more than he should sometimes because he appears to have taken a lot of photos of. Alex, who tried to commit suicide in season one and failed, like essentially recovering in the hospital when he was in a coma or some such thing. I mean, the rebranding of Tyler as a sweet, geeky kid felt very strange, considering in season one, we know that he essentially stalked Hannah and took pictures of her in her home. Peeped through her window. Yeah, totally. And, And then he becomes, he finds a new friend who kind of encourages it makes him cool essentially and he you know he gets to wear a t-shirt that says assholes on it which is the dream yeah for american high, high school dream yeah he gets into like teen punk culture yeah. vis-a-vis this character cyrus yeah, yeah cyrus and he kind of also gets to have a little bit of a flirtation with a girl he's apparently straight and he gets a flirtation with a girl cyrus's sister who seems you know talk about a dream girl who dream in the sense that much too good Manic to be pixie true dream yeah um and then he, he, t- he, because I guess he tells the truth at the trial. 
I mean, the, the stuff that happens in the final episode is so extreme, it's really even hard to uh, to offer any explanation for it. But because essentially because he tells the truth about something that happened to Hannah and he costs the baseball team their season. The, the, the seasonality of sports in this high school is very confusing. Sometimes yeah. they're playing football, <laughs> sometimes they're playing baseball. Um, and then Monty, the secret evil doer of well it wasn't Bryce. because he told the truth it's because he it wasn't because he sprayed oh right the, right he he and cyrus uh burn a, burn the word rapist into the i guess football or baseball field um and so he cussed the baseball team their season and they were going to win the state and all of that and then in the final episode monty uh rapes him with a mm. broom handle uh which you know is shown to co- you know they they show that really quite explicitly something that would do enormous damage I'm and we so know traumatized. from and we know from <laughs> Amadou Diallo that yes. would lead to him being in the hospital for a good bit of time but apparently oh, Tyler is able to just fully function to such an extent that he having been given this gun backstory very clunkily over the episodes um somehow has acquired some huge guns. Um, Where did he get all the guns? I mean, this is America. He's like, a but lot of guns. All of these teenagers yeah. have like unbelievable access to guns. Yeah, and tattoos. Yeah, and, and, tattoos. and tattoos, which they sort of winked at this season, at yeah, least, I, right? Yeah, where they Sky, who we haven't even mentioned because there right. are a zillion characters. Yeah. Um, Clay at the end of season one makes a connection with this girl Sky, the who actually no, we did mention her. She's still farming. I'm right. already getting right. mixed up exactly. within the same conversation. But the context um, is useful. Yeah. Uh, Sky, who is one of the many tattooed teenagers, uh, brings Clay to a tattoo parlor to get a semicolon uh, in reference to Project Semicolon, uh, which is an anti-suicide you know, organization. Um, the idea behind it being that you pause rather than stop. Mm. Uh, and, but for, because Clay is Clay... It winds up for most of the episode just being a comma, which I know. I get. I get the symbolic point, but if you, were, they probably would start with the period of the semicolon, and I'm guessing <laughs> that that wouldn't be a good place to stop and only have a period because then you'd be completely undermining the message. But anyway, it's so, interesting because some of the actors at the end of season one got semicolon oh, wow. tattoos. I wow. thought that was pretty meta. One but, of the uh, many meta moments. Yeah, I also love the idea that. What actually happens is Clay can't stand the pain of the tattoo, and so he faints, and that's why the comma is left on him. But I just love the idea that he has such a low pain threshold since he invites people to curb stomp him like, <laughs> at every turn throughout this show. Lena sees a target. Um... <laughs> but like we went into season two, and I was like, okay, how many episodes is Clay going to go without a facial injury? Right. Like. There should be a chalkboard where it's like two episodes without yeah. Clay getting like the a giant bruise rider. on his face. Right. Yeah. Um, and like season two was about as, the same as season one. He just gets absolutely pummeled. Just to get back to Tyler. So in the in the finale, the most predictable in a sense and, and also mm. most depressing um, kind of potential. I mean, ending of season two, potential starting point for season three. Please, God, no. Um he goes to the school during the school dance, heavily armed, wearing body armor, and is about to do, we we presume, a school shooting when Clay and maybe one other person, two people, I guess Jessica and, and Justin, fresh oh. from coitus, come <laughs> and just kind of talk him out of it and it's he gets in. Clay. It's Clay, yeah. He's literally standing in front mm. of the rifle. Right. I think Justin's yeah. in the yeah. background. 
I'm like, what are you doing, Clay? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what's happening? I'm just like, uh, but and Ty- and anyway, Tony whisks him, whisks Tyler away, leaving for some reason. Clay holding a submachine gun or something. So here's my here's my biggest so here's my biggest issue with Tyler's arc, and this is similarly to how I felt at the end of season one when I was just like. As everything that happened, you walk away feeling like I understand why Hannah killed herself, which is like the tr- most troubling reason thing to walk away, especially for a show targeted mm-hmm. to young people, right? And for Tyler to have gone through everything that he got through with the bullying, to then um, he posts something on Facebook and he and he gets in trouble, and the principal they tend him to this like um, this program for kids, this diversion program. diversion program, and he comes back. He has a fresh haircut. He has all these strategies for dealing with bullying. He's like, try, you know, he he gets rejected by um, Cyrus, right? Cyrus's Cyrus sister. sister. Mackenzie, I think. She, he's able to snap back, right? He's using the strategies. Um, and then he's in the bathroom and the bullies, I'm forgetting, I, I can't remember anyone. Monty. Monty. Monty, who's like, ugh. And Monty yeah. comes in with his with his two jock buddies and they like, you, you messed up our season, dude. And he's like saying the words, I'm sorry. I was in a messed up place. Like he's using those same strategies and they... Bang it. I was like texting Lena and Marissa during the scene because I was just so I was just so like de- like depressed by just the idea that basically the show is saying that e- there's no hope. Right. I like how you link that to season one, because I yeah. definitely felt that Tyler was the Hannah of this season yeah. in that his <laughs> outcome is... was presented as inevitable, yes. even though he did. All the things. What he should have done. Yeah. I mean, season one, Hannah reaches out for help. We see in flashback, she goes to a guidance counselor and she mentions to one of her teachers. Obviously, that's a major point in season two. Of she that says, this. I want to kill myself. <laughs> what I, she says, I want to harm myself. So this this season actually begins with, at the beginning of the episode, uh, sort of PSA, a trigger yeah. warning, because yeah. the first season was released without one, uh, with the actor saying... You know, if you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, reach out for help. Someone will help you, which totally flew in the face of everything presented in the yes. first season. Right. And I, I absolutely agree, Marilyn, that this season did the same thing with Tyler. Yep. He was given coping mechanisms. He had a support system. And he still wound up on the steps of, you know, the school dance holding a gun. And then worse, you know, as as was noted by several people, the show was released on Netflix the day that there was a major school wow. shooting in Texas in which wow. 10 people were killed. They it's canceled al- the premiere. It's almost as if what he ends up doing is almost justified. I mean, I, I don't think I'm not going to going to go far enough as to say so what happens to Tyler justifies him going and shooting the place up but not that far off but also the reason he doesn't wind up shooting the school up is because Clay literally throws himself in front of him and pleads with him and that very much in how the first season put a lot of blame on survivors of suicide loss this season almost suggests that it is up to other people Mm -hmm. to prevent the school to shooting other ki- to, to their yeah. peers to yeah. you know to other kids yeah it's crazy yeah. Yeah. yeah i actually i watched behind the reasons um oh. which is you are deep in this huh i sure am um it's a sort of talk back show um where the actors and creative team um discuss the show with host elaine weltroth um there's an hour-long special for each season and so i watched the season two special um and they 
have the different experts um, that they brought in on different cases like um, ra- like uh, rape trials. Um, and they they had someone um, around like teen gun violence. Um, and she was like, absolutely, of course, like I would never advocate for anyone to get in the way of a school shooting. What Clay should have done is like lock people inside the school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so then do you just hire these consultants to not listen to them? Well, here's the thing. Not, there, there are sort of two questions surrounding 13 Reasons Why. The first question is, is it ethical? There's a strong case to be made that no, it is not ethical. The second question is, does it have to be ethical? It's right. entertainment. It's art. The problem to me is that Netflix is not going with the defense, oh, it's entertainment. Oh, it's art. Mm-hmm. Netflix has consistently from the beginning gone with this defense of, oh, we're starting an important conversation. And it, they don't seem to acknowledge criticism from experts in various fields that it's not a matter of starting a conversation, you have to be responsible in how you start that conversation. Yeah, right. And in fact, this season engaged with those criticisms in a very meta and strange way, a sort of deliberate misreading of criticism, uh, where the school has banned all discussion of suicide, mm-hmm. right, right. which is, I thought that was such a an unfair dig at school districts around the country who sent letters to parents saying this show has the potential to be harmful, especially in children and young adults who have, you know, problems with mental illness, watch the show with your child, talk to your child, engage with it. No one is silencing this show. 13 Reasons Why is not a victim. I'm sure it got crazy viewership numbers. Netflix does not release Netflix does not release, but I think it's been acknowledged uh, quietly that this is their biggest original show. And I I hereby a very big uh, margin. But Clay comes out, there's a scene in episode nine that I had to pause and walk away because it was so infuriating where Clay says, oh, you know, something to the effect of the ban on talking about suicide is unfair. Maybe those students just wanted to start a conversation, which is parroting mm-hmm. Netflix and Brian mm-hmm. Yorkie's own defense mm. of how they're portraying these issues. I just find it very strange. There is definitely an argument to be made that this is technically TVMA. It's not theoretically intended for children. They should be able to portray hard-hitting issues. But Netflix has not engaged with that. Instead, they've, they've commissioned a study that found a positive effect. It's found something like, you know, oh, this show made students apologize to their friends for how they've treated them. Never mind that they don't engage with the idea that that's not what anyone was worried about. No one mm-hmm. walked away from season one saying, gosh, this show's not going to make anyone <laughs> apologize to their friends. People walked away from the show saying, wow, this could have a really damaging effect on young people who are having suicidal thoughts of their own. Yeah, yeah the the season one finale shows um, Hannah completing suicide by um, slitting her wrists in a very graphic fashion. Um, one of the most graphic suicides I've ever seen um, on screen. I mean, partly because it doesn't get shown, right? I mean, right. you don't have a million others to compare it with because right. other shows are more responsible, I guess. And then in this season's finale, the, I mean, the, the rape of Tyler was i i just think indefensible you don't you know even not to make a it was exploitative it was absolutely exploitative and you know to be shown the bloody tip of the <sighs> mop or whatever it was that to me like if it wasn't almost the end of the like that that's a reason to just like burn down yeah. the, the entire and then season. he's sitting on his bathroom and he like the well, blood well and that would be so much more serious than that if 
I mean, that was ridiculous. And Yorkie's defense for both Hannah's suicide being shown and for Tyler's graphic rape being shown is that we should have to look at things that are unpleasant and horrible. And, you know, in in a way there's merit to that argument. But, I mean, especially during that scene, I, I thought about – I interviewed uh, Jessica M. Thompson about her movie, The Light of the Moon, which is about a mm-hmm. rape. Um, it, it's The whole plot is centered around a rape. And I remember talking to her about she had an, almost an, a majority female set, and she was very concerned with not sensationalizing the rape and barely showing anything. I mean, mm-hmm. the, even though it's central to the story, the rape in The Light of the Moon, is you only really see the actress's face. Everything's in shadow. And it's over quickly, so it explores the aftermath. This was very visceral and graphic, and a very different attitude. Yeah, yeah. I've done a, I've done a lot of work on this too, and engaged with a lot of work on it. Um, April Wolf's article in the LA Times about um, how rape on film and the filming of rape has sort of shaped female experience in the industry and with the industry um, is one of the best pieces um, I can Mm -hmm. think of on this topic. I wish I remembered the title. But um, I, in Behind the Reasons, Brian Yorkie says the point of showing that scene is to align viewer sympathy with Tyler. And my... We we were already sympathetic, son. (laughs) Like... (laughs) My question is, why do I have to sympathize with a stalker who circulates lesbian revenge porn in season one? Why does Hannah who is a young woman who has been brutally sexually harassed to the point of suicide, have to be ideologically aligned with a straight white man who perpetuated that against her. Well, I think that that's a dangerous connection to make because at the end of the day, there's nothing that someone can do to make you commit suicide. I, I, in my heart, believe that. Like, there are other, like, a lot of extenuating circumstances. I don't think that anything Tyler did made Hannah commit suicide, right? But it made her life hell. I mean, I'm not... Well, this is sort of one of the central issues with season one is that there's basically no discussion of mental health as a factor in Hannah's suicide. It is completely attributed to outside factors, whereas something like 90% of all suicides do are related to mental illness. I'm not trying to discount that Mm -hmm. or like draw a clear line between Tyler did this and so Hannah committed suicide. I mean, that is the narrative of the show. What Tyler did is definitely bad. I mean, that is ultimately the problem because I think, I'm pretty certain that we all agree that you know, there is no cause for suicide. Yeah. You cannot make someone, but that is the project of season yeah. one of the right. show, essentially. So but this, in this season, we find out that Hannah's parents, like her dad was cheating on her mom. We also find out that, oh, there was something else that just left my brain. What a miserable twist that was. That really yeah. was. Yeah. Well, they dismissed her at every turn whenever she had any sort of personal problem. Oh, yeah. And, then, and that's, the, I mean, I, I'm not sure if it came up in season one. I can't remember, but that she also bullied someone else I mean, that, that came up. That yeah. came out this season. Yeah, yeah. Anna her herself was yeah. a bully yeah. at her old school. Which I, I mean, again, just this—the weirdness of this this season. I mean, I and I should just note here that I, even though I didn't put it on any of my top ten lists, I should just because I didn't think it was an ethical show. Mm-hmm. But I loved season one, like. Despite myself, I thought it was really entertaining. I had all kinds of problems, but I enjoyed watching it. Season two, I basically got no enjoyment from. But. Um, Kelly O'Hara, like one of the, like, why was Kelly O'Hara though? Like, what was she there for? She had like six lines. This amazing, you know, actress. I mean, I'm not expecting to get a song to sing, but come on, like you cast somebody like Kelly O'Hara, you put her in in the. So she's someone who also, I guess, has lost a child to suicide. Mm. She's staying with Hannah's mother, and 
you know, giving her support over the trial. And then when it comes out that Hannah was part of a group who picked on a girl in her previous school, she just leaves. Like, which, you know, I guess what I get what that's trying to say. But I'm sorry, what, what, like, why did you do that? What was the even point of introducing yet another character, which you believe me, you do not need to do to really just for that? I, mean, I did think there was going to be some big twist with her. Yeah. I mean, her presence was so unnecessary that yeah. it definitely felt like it was building to something, which it then did. I wonder if she got another job because she just kind of disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, you know. Yeah, she washed her dress. That right, was the one right, thing that exactly. she did. And maybe it was that she was there to show that uh, Miss Baker, Hannah's mom, had support because there was a moment there where I was just like, yeah. if Tony, no one. if Tony's your own, just that his name, right? Tony? The mm-hmm. friend, yeah, yeah. yeah, if Tony, Hannah's friend that ends up with the tapes is your only, like, unhelpful so, Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, I was, I was concerned for, you know, for her. Mental. I was also a little concerned with her interactions with a lot of these students. These are teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say: your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over a hundred social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, and that's kind of, I guess that's how I felt about Tyler. And maybe I'm affected by the season. And so I'm feeling a little bit more. I mean, he definitely is, like, but far be it for me to, to like, advocate for a, a straight white man. But I think... <laughs> I think I, I walked away like seeing all the ways in which each student were was kind of like dealing with, in which the society and adults in their lives and the system was kind of failing everyone and seeing Hannah as someone that like got that made a decision that didn't get her to see the other side of that the you know like I, this thing because more, she's dead because she's dead although she's right. a ghost yeah. also yeah that, but it, that was why I mean it's something that we've already noted that's why it was so. depressing to me because again Tyler is someone who has so many resources he gets sent on the diversion program he has loving parents who were really engaged with his recovery you know on the night that he goes off to you know that he's raped and and goes off to take these terrible actions his mom comes to him and says do you need help like how are you doing like what and why didn't you say anything oh I would have pulled off his hat I don't know I was in that moment like what would I have done differently here's what I found strange about this season and the first season there's definitely an overarching message of we have to be better to each other but many of the characters who are committing the worst acts on this show are just villains without any redeeming factors. Someone like Monty, someone like Bryce. Yeah, Uh, yeah. We haven't even gotten into Jessica's storyline. Oh my god. Bryce's other... And Chloe, Chloe the... Yeah, his new girlfriend. girlfriend. Well, well, I also do just want to say that like, this is a television show and I understand that it's trying to address basically like every problem in society within a 13-episode season, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to... Society already caters to straight white men more than it caters to any other members of the population. So my personal issue is why do it 
in the microcosm of this show when so many teenagers are watching it and seeing that comparison between Tyler and Hannah. I understand it as a narrative device, but I think socially it's gravely irresponsible. And as like a feminist viewer and someone whose job it is to really analyze the ways in which women and girls are represented on screen, I think that the way in which they frame Tyler throughout the show seasons one and two is horribly irresponsible. They completely write off his stalking and sexual abuse as just quirks, essentially. But I I can see that as this is sort of the other side of the story and the idea that there is a, you know, people, depending on context, including Hannah herself, are either perpetrators or victims. I just wonder, like, what, what are the Tylers or even Tyler is pretty egregious. Even someone like Courtney Mm -hmm. or... Alex, some of the people who, or Ryan, who, gosh, he barely had a role this season. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, or Marcus. Who, who basically writes. did Marcus someone high school me. stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. High school drama. Uh, they, we see that they learn from their mistakes, but what are, what is a Bryce supposed to learn yeah. from this? He's basically he's a, a sociopath. A, well, he's yeah. a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't have any problem writing off sexual abusers as villains um but no i mean but, but the that's, show isn't yeah because exactly. but you just said that no but, no, but there are but, varying degrees of it yeah there's right tyler's and there's and Bryce's. i think even bryce who yeah is you know essentially has horns he's just I mean, <laughs> they're, they're not they don't try to redeem him however they kind of do because right. we see that his parents have essentially left him alone poor little rich boy yeah poor little rich boy and and yeah he, he it's almost like they're excusing his psychopathy or, or explaining it. And so I I know it's silly to to sort of request a nuanced portrait of somebody like Bryce because, yeah, I don't care. I don't want them to be. But at the same time, it does kind of spoil the drama, you know, just to have people be too extreme and irredeemable, although Bryce clearly is irredeemable. But and I also don't mind that he got off at the end because we know that guys like that do get off. I mean, it was not, very Stanford rape case. Yeah, that, I appreciated that. Yeah, yeah. but yes, it's it, if you if you give everybody an explanation, it and yet explanations ultimately don't matter. It just makes a murk and a mess of the kind of dramaturgical underpinnings. I think the issue is that the show itself has tried to adopt its very idealistic message of universal radical empathy and apply it to all of its characters. And that's just not possible and frankly irresponsible in a show that's dealing with the subject matter that it deals with. Mm. Well, let's talk about that the secondary case, uh, even though Bryce's misdeeds are sort of the formation for the whole season. Uh, Verilyn, you want to walk us through what Jessica has gone through this Poor season? Jessica. Um, so... Jessica, we at, we end season one with Jessica coming, like telling her dad essentially that she had gone, she got was raped. She went, she you know something happened. Um, is is kind of the last one of the last things we hear her say. And in this season, she, uh, I guess she'd been dealing with it. She, got, we see her, we see all of them going back to school for the first time. Um, Tyler, not Tyler, Zach, Zach, who is also her ex boyfriend, also. Noah. Is Zach? Uh, Alex. 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 Who's right. Zach? I don't even know who Zach is. <laughs> um, Zach is the one who's like 10 feet tall right. and 30 and, years oh, old. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Alex, um, who is her ex-boyfriend, also one of the 13 reasons why for Hannah. Um, they're all, um, he, had, he tried to commit suicide at the end of season one. And so um, 
I can't remember that all of them just in out weren't in school. I can't. Was, yeah, it's not really explained why she wasn't away, but we I think can assume it was because because she was, she was dealing with yeah, yeah recovering. Oh, well, like coming to dealing with the fact that she was raped. So and we see her in support groups eventually, right? Yeah, eventually, eventually she resists going to them. Yeah. At first. Um. One. So she comes back to school. Her and um. Alex, Alex. Alex. I don't know why he wanted to call him Al- um, Zach. Her and Alex kind of become each other's support. We see them skipping school together. One we, of the only joyful moments yeah, for me in the entire series, yeah. although it doesn't end well. Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, the thirteen reasons why. Why would it end well? Um, uh, and then um, who's the? I'm forgetting everyone's name. The the other young woman in the school that she ends up finding out was also sexually assaulted. Nina. Nina. Who came from nowhere and, like, isn't, I mean, I realize she's a new character this season, but she, she was never really properly introduced, right, other than just being another person at the support group. Yeah, at she first, supposedly like, goes to this high school. <laughs> and, uh, but at first she's, like, creepily kind of, like, looking at Jessica. Yeah. We're like, what's going on? Yeah. What's your deal? Yeah. And then we find out that she feels connected to Jessica because she knows Jessica's been sexually assaulted, and she kind of encourages her and brings her to the first um, support group meeting or oh, they she oh Jessica goes and then she sees Nina there and that's where she realizes that Nina was also sexually assaulted I sh- want to also mention that both of these young women are black African American and I felt in a way in the sense that like you know the statistics are scary when you think about you know, black women being being um, being able to come out as sexual assault survivors and getting recognized, or you know, the idea of like believe black women. Like, there's just always this like air, especially in the media, where you don't really see black women getting to be the victim, and especially around sexuality, right? Like to be sexually assaulted and to be seen as the victim in that in that way. And I, it was interesting. I think that one of the the thing that this the show does well is the representation factor of feeling like you know why not have Jessica play this role like why not have Nina play this role like you know and and it wasn't lack of blackness either like you see them go to the mall and Nina has a boyfriend and it just felt like it just felt like regular and, and it was very <laughs> self conscious about but, race yeah. not mm-hmm. in an ostentatious way but yeah. definitely with especially with Marcus oh my taking gosh. the stand yes. this season and his dad is like look you can't the rules are different yeah, for you different and his dad is running for office and so on and one yeah. of my favorite things is that Jessica is mixed race and mm-hmm. before she goes to trial her white mother encourages her to straighten her hair to seem more respectable to the jury and she grapples sort of with that aspect of her identity mm-hmm. not in an egregious like this is another plot this is another issue we have to address why it's just a part of her life yeah. I really thought that was yeah. genuine yeah. and in a way though I, I I so hear you Verilyn but I, it almost you know in the in the way that we've been talking about there are certain things in this show that feel real mm-hmm. and the fact that Bryce would get a slap on the wrist that feels real the idea that yeah. <laughs> a jury I guess it was a jury would listen to a black woman a, about an attack by a very rich white guy like yeah. God, I wish they would. But Junior, being they? a downer about a show is already bleak as 13 reasons. Although the moment where Jessica is testifying, because she doesn't originally tell her truth. Or she's making her victim yeah, impact statement. Yeah, right? when she makes her vi- victim, thank you for the language. When she makes her victim impact statement, it's just the lawyer's and her it's mom. A, yeah, it's a weird thing. It's a weird There was yeah. no jury. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm laughing because it's such a tool that filmmakers use and I'm always just like, I see what you're doing and I'm affected. But like every <laughs> woman becomes Jessica as she's saying and everyone and you see how, how you know, every woman is affected by sexual assault. That to me, it, it was such a tool that, you know, you to, were successful but I was successfully manipulated because it, it, you know, when, yeah. when you see Clay's mom you know, tell her story too. You really see that. I mean, what is it? One in five? I mean, there's four of us yeah. in this room right now. So like, this the idea that, yeah, sexual assault touches, every, I mean, yeah. almost mm-hmm. every woman. I don't care yeah. that that was a manipulation. I think it was a useful one. Absolutely. Um, and I've seen the same thing in two of my favorite shows ever, um, which was I Love Dick, um, Jill Soloway, um, Jill Soloway's Amazon show. show. <laughs> we'll Fight Later. Um, and One Mississippi, Tignataro and Diablo Cody's show. Um, sort of this idea of the mul- multiplicities and generational trauma of um, abuse, I think is great. I I agree that like to pull it out as a last stop at the end of the rape trial yeah. is not picking it up as a thread in any way. Yeah. Um, to be clear, like when I say manipulative, that's not an insult. Yeah. The show is a very good manipulator. Yeah. 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 Film yeah. is in many ways inherently manipulative. That's his job, right? Yeah, that's his job. Can we talk for a second? So Shuri... Sherry. I forgot Sherry. she existed. I forgot she's exist- she existed too. Wait, but- wait, wait. Who is she? <laughs> she's uh, in the other black girl. <laughs> the other black girl who oh, in I- season one hit the stop sign, right? Yeah. She, yeah. yeah. She goes away. Well, so I, I actually broke this down. Okay. So there are... Lena is ready to go. <laughs> there are 11 kids plus Tony, um, if we take Hannah out of the equation, who are active players in season one. In season two... We haven't even talked about the guidance counselor. There are oh, so many no. characters on this show. All right, continue. But in season two, eight of those original 12 kids are selected to like be active players in the plot. Seven of those eight characters are straight. Five are men, or five are white. Seven are men. Jessica's the only woman. Um, and the characters who are sidelined from the original mm. crop are Courtney, a gay woman of color, Sherry, a black woman, Ryan, a gay man, and Marcus, a man of color. Wow. You know, I didn't even notice that. I, yeah. I, I've always thought of this I, as a very diverse show. I guess I, I was so focused on Jessica. Well, I that's an interest that yeah. When you put it out that way, but I guess because Marcus moved the story forward, because um, Sherry um, moved the you know when she's in the in the um, in the room in which we find out that this is where the jocks come to take pictures of they're the a women part of it they... but they don't have their own discrete right. plot line yeah, 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 in yeah. the same way that the other characters do so i think do. because i i because they move the story forward like they're central to the season i didn't it didn't make it didn't equate in my mind that that is the case which is really really interesting yeah they're they're like taking actions and moving the plot but they don't they don't really yeah, they, have inner lives in yeah. this season. Yeah. There are just there are so many characters. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But the, thing, but the choice of who is sidelined, yeah. sure. I yeah. think, yeah. is extremely yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. But the thing I wanted to say about Shuri and just that moment in which so she comes up with the idea that the way in which we can we can get into this den where the behind the um, football field where the football players take girls to sexual assault them, take pictures of them, get high with them, and so she decides to put herself in that position to go with the football players. <sighs> And it is such a it's a moment where I'm just like I'm on edge, right? Because I'm just like I really hope nothing happens to her. Like, oh my god, I can't believe she's putting herself in this position. For her to be a a black 
woman doing that to me felt important in some way. And then for her to decide not because Clay was like, you need to go back. And she was like, uh, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Clay. <laughs> oh, Clay. Um, and I thought like for me, those that those two moments with her, even though she was sidelined, we don't know where she was. She was in juvie because she like committed she, the crime with the stop sign. Yeah. Like that's so interesting. Yeah. She talks about how guards like regularly sexually assaulted people in her juvie. That's wow. one of she's one of the talking heads at Jessica's trial. Like there's such a rich a rich backstory there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the writers decide that Clay yeah. and Justin wow. uh, and Alex and Tyler are more interesting. That's something that could very easily have been avoided if they had decided to honor the first season a little more and the spirit of it and make every episode actually about whoever was testifying as Uh, opposed to ancillary. Would have been so much better. Let's talk about some of the minor characters. We talked about Sherry um, quite a bit. Can we talk about Marcus just because someone told me a theory about him? Okay. Verilyn, just jump in with Marcus. No, no. I mean, we could do Courtney first. Well, I feel like Courtney's going to lead us down to Ryan and sort of run through the... Ryan is is Tony's ex boyfriend. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, and now we got to talk about Tony, who um, just what? Yeah. I what mean, if, we're, if we're talking about the trials as a framing device, I think that's a lead into any of the minor characters. So, it's a quick. Okay. So this is a quick thing. So, um, so a theory that a friend of mine said to me the other day, and I was like, I hadn't occurred to me until he just said that. But do y'all think that Marcus is gay? No. No. I did not read him as gay. I think there was some weird signaling, but like to me, it was very confusing that Alex, recovering from his terrible self inflicted injuries, who was always kind of read somewhat as gay, and as they talk about, you know, they thought he was gay and they gave him shit for being gay, even though he's. He's attracted to women. He like, has a he, septum piercing in season one, which doesn't help. <laughs> he got he got the horn for the first time when he was wrestling with Zach, which then they just like didn't make anything of like he's been trying to you know get a hard on for mm. girls and he failed and then he's oh. wrestling with Zach and he there he goes and he thought so you're you're just going to leave that there their whole relationship was extremely homoerotic exactly and well, it's, but they don't have the guts or the interest to actually do anything with it it's like or what, the time well yeah exactly why why <laughs> are you giving time. us yeah. so much boring shit with clay and then leaving these really big <laughs> Like stories, which I mean, I, you know, which were just Marilyn and Lena. You've just mentioned several things that they were so interesting that they just kind of, yeah. oh, there you go. I'll give you five minutes. Come on. I'm well, like, where where does that theory come from? So when he was talking to Courtney and he says, you know, sometimes you have to you have to um, give them what they want or something like that. Or when he was with Hannah and like she. She wasn't like he wasn't into her, and like he was just like, why? Like he's maybe because he's a virgin. I mean, I I know this is problematic in a lot of different ways, but I think it was the idea that like because he doesn't really have a relationship, why was he so um, with the whole wearing a dress thing towards the end? I think like they were just making a case for like, well, maybe this is the reason. The more I say it, I feel like I think with Marcus, I mean, so it feels like you know, in the way that they. Other than Hannah, maybe they kind of give, and the weird, confusing way in the end with Tyler, they tend to give it characters one story. And I think Marcus's story is like the weight of the of his potential and how, as a very high achieving young black man, he has to be so so careful and can't do or say anything because, you know, he could lose Harvard, which is so important to his father, and or his father could lose you know, access to being an elected person just with the slightest little misstep. So I I think that was, the... I think to, that's how I interpreted Marcus's 
weird disappearance. I mean, but at the same time, in season one, Marcus is a reason for Hannah because he also sexually assaults her on the assumption that she's easy. And then in season two, he perpetuates the idea that she wanted to have sex with Bryce. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so he is somewhat of a villain in his own right. But I think it speaks volumes that the show decides to dedicate all of the antagonist or whatever screen time to Bryce instead of Marcus, who has a very rich backstory that is only slightly hinted at, um, but has, you know, like a very significant effect on Hannah in a similar way as well. Also a character, I think, that more viewers would be able to identify with than Bryce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet the show has decided that it's going to have these extremely villainous characters. It's very undercutting its own message. Yeah. 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 And it's also, I mean, not to harp, but in season one... Let's harp. <laughs> in season one, like, when things happened, when bad things happened, like, say, this the scene with Marcus in the diner, it was in public. And there was, you know, in this way that, you know, if you're not... Ghost Hannah accompanying you is not actually being accompanied, you know? Like, if when you experience uh, an insight or anything on your own you don't have that kind of affirmation or accountability that's something that happens in public like in a diner does whereas in the season two a lot of the the backstory stuff happens essentially on a one-to-one level like hannah and zach's you know love story which nobody else knew about or a bunch of stuff that happened with bryce that no one else knew about like that come on like that's Mm. just cheap it's not but then it's but I think a lot of this is happening through the interpretation and the eyes of the person telling the story. That's what they want us to think, but it's it's like it's less convincing. Yeah. yeah. It feels like it's shoehorned in. Um, so I guess if I can transition into talking about... You want to talk about Courtney? Yeah. So, um, Verilyn, you mentioned a conversation between Marcus and Courtney where um, he says, like, you have to give them what they want. Yeah. Um, I think the issue there is that Courtney's experience coming out as a lesbian in this high school is used as a framing device for all of the deception in the show. And the idea is that her being a closeted person is the same thing as telling vicious lies to Mm. everyone in her life. And I think that that is not... not framed more explicitly than in episode two, Two Girls Kissing, which is the episode um, wherein Courtney's trial is a framing device. Um, and, and in which she's forced to literally come out on the stand. Yeah. She's outed on the stand by the prosecution. In front of her um, two dads. In front of her parents in front, and with the knowledge that people in the school will hear that because Tyler in the previous episode, his testimony has been immediately leaked yeah. to the entire population. Um, and so in season one episode five um that's courtney's tape and basically what happens is she goes to hannah's house because they're concerned about a peeping tom tyler um and they end up drinking and playing a game of truth or dare and courtney dares hannah to kiss her and it comes out that courtney is a closeted lesbian um who has feelings for hannah um and Tyler takes pictures of this interaction and spreads them as revenge porn when Hannah rejects him. Um, and to save face, Courtney acts as though Hannah came onto her. She's such a slut, etc. Um, Feeding into the already existing rumor yeah, about Hannah. Which is not, um, you, you know, it's it's bad behavior, certainly, but it's likened as equally indefensible as sexual assault. Um, stalking. Stalking. A, a, a multiple... Like Publishing of, a poem in a student journal, which is one of the other <laughs> right, reasons right. in the, season one. The gay characters in this show are um, 
their gayness ha- like seemingly has nothing to do with their story, even though it does, because the show is using it as a hot topic. It's just it's, um, it's just a cause for deception because exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so so Courtney's on the stand, and she the different kids who are giving testimony provide the voiceover for the show, whereas in season one, um, Hannah's tapes provided the voiceover. And so Courtney's testimony is the voiceover for the show. And the lines are like, we all have things we keep hidden. Sometimes keeping secrets is how you survive. Yes, I think that Um, was the line that the person was talking about with Marcus, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah, um, and like her end narration... um, we all have things we try to hide. I guess they just can't stay hidden forever. The idea that hiding one's lesbian identity in high school is equivalent to, um, you know, keeping the secret that you bullied someone who eventually killed herself um, is frankly despicable to me, um, having been in that situation. (laughs) And the fact that in season one, Courtney's given a very rich backstory as to why she doesn't want to come out to other people. She gives like a deeply effective monologue to Clay about how being a transracial adoptee raised with two dads, she understands homophobia better than he or anyone else could possibly ever know. She's seen it inflicted upon her parents throughout her Mm. entire life. Like, there's this idea that because she has gay parents, it's so easy for her to come out. She's like... Which Clay pretty much explicitly tells her in season one. She's like, it's exactly the opposite. And I thought that was so interesting and so rich. And then immediately, Courtney is sidelined and her identity is a non-issue. And in fact, when she's outed on the stand, the show treats it as a gift to her. Right, right. Because she gets this hot girlfriend who shows up at the prom. uh, And her parents, you know, the reaction she was worried about... To have like a blue is the warmest color in movie marathon. Uh, well, I thought that was very sweet. They break that out. Was very sweet. They break out desert hearts, and the kids are all right. And blue is the warmest color. And then these two da- gay dads are like, "Isn't the kids are all right problematic?" And I was like, <laughs> "It is. Good um, job, dads." And then blue is the warmest. Let's save this. For Let's life. save this. <laughs> um, but I think the issue is that the show acts as though she has unburdened herself, right. and that's such a gift to her that the prosecution literally. First of all, it's ridiculous the way in which she's added on the stand. The prosecution is like. Um, did ha- did Hannah kiss you back? Like, literally, these are the questions that this adult woman is asking this teenage girl on the stand because the defense she's apparently framing is that Hannah was the closeted lesbian who bullied her, which I don't know how that would make Hannah unsympathetic right, again. Right. <laughs> um, it, it's and She's like, do you not think that Hannah was a lesbian or at least bisexual? Like, the I want to lines... chime in to say I'm not a lawyer, but <laughs> I would have objected. <laughs> when I was watching this case, I was like, that is clearly leading the witness. Yeah, I mean, many so times much. this attorney is just like, don't you think it's actually Hannah's fault? Like, she might as well just have turned to the camera and winked. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's just on so many levels insulting to the lesbian experience, particularly the teenage lesbian experience. And I just can't imagine being 17, being a closeted high school student as I once was, and seeing the idea that... Um, you know, being outed in such a public and traumatizing fashion is actually society doing you a favor. I can't imagine how I would absorb well, that not message. Not to be the devil. <laughs> not and even I the can't. advocate, but the actual <laughs> devil. Um, do you think that the, per- the, the, the closeted teen that's watching this will all- could also have the reaction of this horrible thing happened and she was okay? But she doesn't process it. It's not treated as a horrible thing. It's not treated as horrible to her. It's treated as a gift to her is my issue. You know, like she's not given the space to even process her own coming out. It's just she's out. You know, I I agree with you, Lena. But to me, that wasn't even the worst 
queer <laughs> moment. The worst of all was when this gay friend of Cyrus and Tyler's, who appeared for this, he did show up a little bit later, but was just whisked in for this ex. Exclusively for this explicit purpose, an was, exclusively gay spectator, <laughs> exclusively gay spectator, was just appeared so that he could, in the gayest way possible, throw shade on, I guess, Tony or Ryan. I'm not even sure who. It's like that's the worst kind of gay, and mm-hmm. and they just kind of looked at me like, oh, I'm gay, so I can say it. Like, you know what? Just don't, okay? Because like, what is your purpose here? Why were mm. you? Ha- why were you cast just so you could say that? Mm. So you could, you know, make some homophobic comment? Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're gay makes it like, first of all, just because you say you're gay, unless I see you being gay, you're not gay. <laughs> In TV it, land, this is yeah. not written by J.K. Rowling. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so that was just sad. I just really want to quickly Lena. mention Ryan and Tony as the other like, major gay characters. Ryan. Ryan is totally sidelined as the only effeminate gay man, and who's paid like played by a gay actor. I would assume. Um, whereas Tony, who's played by a straight actor. Um, is upheld as like this anti-stereotype, like masculine gay man, um, which <laughs> Who gets is, another mask gay man, which is you know sweet. Like I, I love his relationship. I love the complication of the fact that he is a Latino gay man, like clearly struggling with masculinity and class issues. With I, two I strikes. Yeah, I, I genuinely <laughs> like Tony. Um, but I think the sidelining of Ryan speaks volumes. One of my favorite... You like Tony? Sorry, this is totally separate. Tony, to me, was the worst character in season one. I mean, he's totally sanctimonious and ridiculous, but and like... gay as sex machina. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but but he's gay with a slightly interesting backstory, so I'm devoted to him for life. Um, that's just how it works. All right, fair um, enough. <laughs> but I, I mean, one of my favorite moments in season two is when... Tony and Hannah are getting manicures together um, and Tony is talking about Ryan um, and he's just like, I don't know if I like want to like insult him or like push him against a wall and kiss him. And Hannah just looks at him like her mouth agape. Like, I don't know. I just thought that that was very like innocent and sweet. But like the idea, but it it did feel a bit undercutting of the character, like the idea that like I was really surprised that Tony when when he eventually did kind of you know make his moves on Ryan, the, it was assumed that he had actually been closeted. I, I'm afraid I've forgotten all of how he was played in season one because like I know that like having a manicure with a girl doesn't mean you're gay, but it's not what super straight men do. And it felt like so you're giving him kind of a gay mm. move, and then you're saying he's closeted. I felt well, not the even whole a gay move, but like he's. But confident enough to do exactly, that. Like, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Even well, the beyond sh- his characterization, though, this was another sort of revision of the first season yeah, totally. where Tony and Hannah were apparently very good friends, which we definitely understood that there was some sort of connection between them in season one. But much like the romance with Zach, this felt very yeah. random yeah. and sort of an add-on. Yeah. Well, the show operates on the assumption that these teenagers can have extremely insular lives in right. which like there is no outside penetration and yeah, yeah that's frankly ridiculous yeah uh, well, i mean we didn't even talk about the um the drug scene oh we didn't talk about tyler like it <laughs> or not tyler um <laughs> we Justin, didn't even talk about like, bryce's pregnant all. girlfriend <laughs> oh can we talk chloe, about the, co- the chloe, chloe. Oh my gosh! Right, well, okay, up. we're gonna okay we're gonna talk about what we think we yeah, might I'm see in season three chloe. i'll okay. start with pregnant girlfriend because that's just like well, could you bring in the coercion of like her basically being raped? In the- I can. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, all right. So 
Netflix has not yet announced an official season three for 13 Reasons Why, but given the show's popularity, I think it's safe to assume that they'll renew it. It was pretty much a short thing after the first season, even though they didn't have any plot left to adapt. Uh, So let's talk about what we think we might see based on the ending of season two. One thing I... One revelation that was kind of squeezed into the finale, which was just jam-packed with so many things, uh, is the revelation that Bryce's girlfriend, Chloe... Who is loyal. Who is, as we are reminded over and over, who is loyal, uh, is pregnant with his child, which was a wild plot twist to just throw in there, I imagine, will be explored more. Uh, Also, I was a little bit happy because it sort of checked off my... I was playing, like, high school soap opera bingo. (laughs) I mean, one thing about 13 Reasons, for all that it presents itself as being radical and groundbreaking, it's doing the same stuff that every high school drama has. I mean, Glee has done this stuff. Degrassi has done this stuff. (laughs) Uh, Pretty Little Liars has done this stuff. So it's... it's, But I was glad that completed my board. I got bingo. Um, I'm sure we will see a greater exploration of her relationship with Bryce, especially... Since, as we see in this season, the relationship is basically abusive. Yeah. Talk coercion to the 15th maximum level. Like, uh, it just bothered me so much for her to, like, to be there and just, like, clearly not wanting to have sex and him just... Not. Who's going to take it to Italy, Marilyn? Uh, but there's also a sex scene between them that's framed as somewhat sexy, even though um, it is... She- yeah, she's, begun she's like trying to leave. He locks the door. Yeah. yeah. It was very, very troubling. Um, They're starting a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I My prediction is for Justin, um, mm. who we see still getting high. I didn't even know you could get high in the ways he was getting high <laughs> in the show. So A little I mean, of the opioid crisis. Mm. Yeah, very little. So my prediction for him is, I mean, that we see him coming up against the consequences of still getting high. Um, maybe his mother, who I guess was happy to see him that one time. I mean, <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Valen, but yeah. that, it's another one of these things that's so annoying about this show. Like, you know, all these dropped, you know, you set something up and then you drop it. But yeah. like, he goes to see his his mom, who's a a drug addict and she's got this abusive dealer boyfriend Justin steals gigantic quantities of cash from said boyfriend and nothing happens and then we see the boyfriend at the memorial at the at the um was it a memorial? They made a memorial for ha- Hannah. Finally, yes. Finally. They, her parents decide it's time. And we see the boyfriend, like, roll up to the memorial. So he knows that Justin is in there because at the beginning he didn't know. He couldn't find Justin. And I remember because I, I was texting um, <laughs> Marissa and Lena um, during the last episode. And I was like, oh, my God, is the boyfriend going to come in and shoot everyone up? Like, you know, you thought that he was going to yeah. be a plot point, And then he just wasn't. Maybe so, season three. So yeah. season three for sure, like, wrapping a, a bow on or something ramifications of that uh lena how about you what do you think we're gonna see next Um, season or what do you hope to see (laughs) or what do you fear to see i do sort of just want to conclude with um the assertion that i actually i i don't want to um end this episode with uh I don't want it to seem as though I don't care about this show or think it has any merit. I think that anything that huge quantities of teenagers engage with has merit. And I think that cultural criticism um, as a whole, like, is very loath to acknowledge that. 
Um, I love teen soap operas um, because I think they have huge cultural value. um, And I think that this is an example of that. Um, It's starting a conversation as they want it to. um, But it's the wrong conversation, I think, is the conclusion we've all come to here. I think it's Um, arrogant for this show to even assert that it's starting the conversation to begin with. Yeah. um, Like no one was talking about these issues before 13 Reasons Why came along. But I mean, I think it does show like teenage emotions as messy as they are in some very genuine and touching ways. I cried like four times during the season finale. Mm -hmm. So I I do want to throw that out there. But my prediction for season three is that um, uh, Michelle Celine Ong, who plays Courtney, will no longer be a cast member because (laughs) they gave her a girlfriend and she's fine now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, June, why don't you close us out? Um, I hope there is no season three. I know there will be, but I really wish... Because to me... It's hurting what I really liked about season one and, and what I thought was really interesting and yes, troubling, but also there was there was real engagement there and I, I did not feel I, I just felt annoyed by season two and it disappointed me and it was felt like it was spoiling like the whole project. And so I guess for me, if there is a third, let it just be Olivia in New York living out Hannah's dream and maybe it can have a crossover with Younger and just like be a different mm. show. Kate Aww. Walsh just killing it for a whole yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank all of you for being here. Thanks, June. Thank you. Thanks, Marilyn. Thank you. Thanks, Lena. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Daniel Schrader. For June, Lena, and Verilyn, I'm Marissa Martinelli. Thanks for listening. Woo-woo! Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.